Hello everyone, I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Welcome back, everyone, to Fit for a Queen. We are happy to have Dr. Amy Saltzman on today. She's an athlete, mindfulness coach, holistic physician, and devoted student of transformation. She's the author of A Still Quiet Place for Athletes, Mindfulness Skills for Achieving Peak Performance and Finding Flow in Sport and in Life. In 2018, the book was voted Changing the Game Project's Book of the Year for Athletes. Dr. Amy's offerings allow any athlete or team to develop mental, emotional, and spiritual skills for finding flow. The exact same skills are being used by an ever-increasing number of college, professional, and Olympic athletes. She offers in-person and online mindfulness trainings to individual athletes, coaches, and teams. Dr. Saltzman, thanks for being on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, let's get started. I would love for you first to define what mindfulness is. You know, as a practitioner, people have different definitions of it. So how you would define it and why do you think it really does have a place in sports? Yes. So my definition of mindfulness and we'll go through the definition in a moment is mindfulness is paying attention here and now with kindness and curiosity so that we can choose our behavior. Mm -hmm. So paying attention here and now means paying attention to this moment and not ruminating or obsessing about the past or worrying or fantasizing about the future. With kindness and curiosity simply describes how we pay attention when we're mindful because we have other ways of paying attention that aren't so helpful, like being super self-critical. And we pay attention to our bodies, our thoughts, our feelings, our circumstances, the people around us in this way so that we can choose our behavior. And ultimately, that means responding rather than reacting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that definition. Yeah. Yeah. Your voice is very peaceful, too. Like, I already feel (laughs) relaxed just listening to you. (laughs) Well, I'm glad. (laughs) I think I I love that uh, definition. And I always forget about that kindness piece that goes along with it, of being curious and kind to what is going on within us. Yeah, and when we don't remember that, um, we tend to... um, beat ourselves up and Mm -hmm. negative scan and see only where we've made a mistake and um that's not actually the most effective way for learning and improving in any domain Mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit about why you think mindfulness um has a place in sports it has been getting a lot more talk that is for sure 
Well, um, I mean, I think it has to do with what we were just talking about, right? Like when we participate in sports, how we, the attitude with which we come to that participation makes a huge difference. So are we in the present moment? Are we being kind and compassionate with ourselves in a moment of difficulty, a mistake, a bad call, um, a poor performance? Uh, how do we treat ourselves? How do we treat our teammates? And even if we're in an individual sport, my belief is we all have teammates. We have training teams and family teams and work teams. And so, you know, these skills are, um, the title of my book is mindfulness skills, blah, 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 for sports and for life. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, my, um, publishers, uh, insisted on the long subtitle, yeah. <laughs> but my belief is that, uh, you know, these skills are crucial for athletics and being able to perform at our best, but they're equally, if not more important in our day-to-day -day life. Okay. You know, that's, there, that is so true. I can remember one time sitting at a table and they were talking about like, what made the great so great at their sports like what does mm -hmm. michael jordan think of when he goes up to the free throw line what does tiger woods do when he's going up to to drive the ball and i was like oh i would be thinking okay get my feet set get my elbow in and they're like yeah that's exactly the problem like they just go up take a deep breath and just do the thing and they're not overthinking it and i was like oh maybe that was my problem <laughs> overthinking oh yeah well and there there's a balanced place where one if they've been practicing their sport mindfully and you happened, I don't know if it was because of research or just good luck, but you happen to choose two athletes that do practice mindfulness. Oh, okay. Um, so that's what. <laughs> and I can also give you some women um, as well, but um, there's two pieces. Mindfulness lets us tune into our bodies and fine tune our athletic performance. And then this practice of coming into the present moment and being only in my body with this shot in this moment mm -hmm. is really helpful. And they probably do have, like I, when I work with athletes, we have pre-competition rituals. And if it's a sport that has kind of breaks um, within the event, and that could be just a throw in in soccer or, you know, something more like diving where it's individual dives and you have time in between they probably do have one or two simple simple cues to bring them into their body and into the present moment but it's probably not a long list of everything every coach has ever said to them since mm -hmm. they were five mm -hmm. yeah great can you explain to us a little bit about the biology of mindfulness and what how it works to sort of reduce stress and tackle anxiety and increase the enjoyment of sport What's going on in there? <laughs> so I want to um, simplify this for your listeners. And the difficulty in simplifying this is that we're taking something that is quite complex that we really don't fully understand mm -hmm. and boiling it down. So I also want your listeners to understand that the research is ongoing and we're still sorting things out. But what we've found when... And by me, I mean Richard Davidson from the Center for Healthy Minds at University of Madison, Wisconsin, not me. Mm -hmm. um, 
when we put people who are um, practicing mindfulness um, in an MRI scanner or do EEG studies is that we have increased activation in certain regions of the brain and decreased activation in other regions of the brain. And I'm not even going to name all the regions of the brain because I really don't think your listeners need to know that. <laughs> Thank but you. I'm going to give you a sense of what we found. So the increased activation um, increases self-regulatory processes, um, the ability to monitor attention conflicts, co cognitive flexibility, it increases planning and problem solving and emotional regulation. It increases learning and memory in a region of the brain that tends to be really susceptible to stress. Mm. And then it decreases activation in an area of the brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala is our fight or flight center. Mm -hmm. And it's the seat of our fearful, anxious, uptight, oh my gosh, I'm not sure I can do these emotions. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we currently know about the effects of mindfulness on the brain. And these um, studies are mostly done in people who take an eight-week mindfulness course. So there, it's not like um, you need to have gone to a mountaintop for three months to get these effects. These oh, are ordinary, darn. everyday. You <laughs> can would, go. We would love to, it would, yeah. It would be lovely. <laughs> we but, were going to use that against our husbands. <laughs> what? We were going to use that for our husbands. Like, we need to we go We got to. to. <laughs> we just got to. Well, it could be just that um, that leaving your husbands could have these same effects. You I don't know. know that we've ever done this <laughs> The next research. <laughs> anyway, um, the point is that what we found is that the brain is has neuroplasticity. That means mm -hmm. that we can change the wiring in our brain and we can change it to be more resilient and compassionate. Mm. That's the coolest part about the brain. Isn't that it awesome? is cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why things can just be automatic. You don't have to like Think. overthink it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So... In your book, you have a lot of great tools and concepts, so obviously we want them to buy the book so they can read all about it, but would you mind sharing with us a, a couple of your most valuable tools? Yeah, for me, um, I think I think there are three things, like if I only get to teach three things, um, they would be learning to do a feelings practice, which is in the book. And just as a note, the book also has recorded audio practices that you can download mm. and put on your phone or your iPad and take with you that you could do, you know, before a competition, um, before you walk back into your house to serve your family dinner, um, whatever will be most useful. But so learning to have your feelings without your feelings having you. So that means being mm. able to experience that. and be aware, wow, I'm feeling really nervous right now, or I'm feeling really angry right now without having that feeling consume you and um, control your behavior and have you say or do something that you might regret. Uh, 
And the other one which goes along with this is learning to respond rather than react in difficult situations. And we need to know how we're feeling and be aware of how we're feeling to make, be able to make wise, kind and compassionate choices. And then the last one, especially for women, um, but just in general is self-compassion to kind of counterbalance this tendency that we have to be super hard on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And there are pieces in the book on, you know, teamwork and facing challenges and self-care um Mm. which when we when we engage in self-care right that's actually what allows us to perform at our best but most of us I don't know I think most of us haven't been taught self-care and we don't really know how to do it we don't even know what to think about um so you know, bringing some attention to that as well. Mm-hmm. Especially in self-care within kind of athletics, right? I mean, I think it's the themes that we've heard, you know, the no pain, no gain, right. and there's no rest. And I think, yes, we're not great with self-care in general. And then you put it in the athletic realm where right. you have to continue to improve, improve that it even gets even more skewed, don't you think? I do think, I do also think, though, at the same time that we are we are evolving away from the no pain, no gain, mm-hmm. just kind of suck it up. And we're getting um, both more mindful and just flat out smarter about how we train, yeah. like understanding needing periods of rest and recovery, mm-hmm. like within each week, within each month, with within each annual cycle. Um, and so we are, I think those concepts are becoming increasingly well-known. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would agree. And as you were talking, I, I am thinking about the sports world or on and off the field, that great difference between responding and reacting mm-hmm. to something, right? I think I can see so mm-hmm. much of that reactivity sometimes with just behaviors. Um, that is such a, a good um, separation of those definitions and how that works in sports. Yeah, and that's where, going back to the definition, right, um, that's where the choosing our behavior comes in, right? Because reacting is just doing whatever we've always done out of habit, whether it's giving up on ourselves or getting angry and yelling at ourselves or at a ref or at a teammate. Um, And then responding is like, oh, this is an intense moment, Uh and I'm going to take a breath. And I'm going to make a choice about what I do next. Right. Or even try to learn from it because you don't become better as an athlete if you don't think about, like, what, how could I approach this differently next mm-hmm. time and see right. if it works better. Yeah. Right. And with, with again, with that element of um, – because, like, the way you said that was very neutral, right? Mm-hmm. And And it did have that element of kindness and curiosity instead of, like, kind of the oh I fucked up and (laughs) I have to I have to fix it now that was terrible like Mm -hmm. we can skip that part and we can go straight to the like oh what can I learn from this Mm -hmm. now not to say that I did that during my playing days I really wish I would have had all this (laughs) back then because I would have been like oh I fucked up (laughs) well and this is is where my passion for giving these skills to athletes and actually my other domain of expertise is working with 
young children and teens. I mean, I, I work kind of across the age spectrum and across domains in life, but um, this is why, you know, it was important to me to bring these skills to youth because why do we need to be, I don't have no idea how you all like 30, 40, 50 before we learn this right. way oh, of gosh, approaching yeah. things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit more about um, how the books laid out and some of the trainings that you would have for athletes and coaches? Yes. So the book is laid out in two sections. The first section is a definition of mindfulness, which we've done, and a description of mindfulness and how mindfulness relates to flow. And I go over more of that research. And then it's it's the basic mindfulness practices. So awareness of the breath, awareness of the body, which includes the self-care piece, awareness of thoughts, awareness of emotions, and learning the distinction between responding and reacting. That's the first section of the book. That's basic kind of mindfulness 101. And then the second section of the book really has to do with um, mistakes, challenges, being a true teammate. And again, I believe even if we do an individual sport, we all interact with teams. maintaining your love of the game, sportsmanship and integrity. And then at the very end um, are sections for coaches and parents. Oh, great. Tell me a little what, wh- a little bit about why you wanted to kind of bring in that coach and parent aspect. We're on like a coach soapbox yeah, today, we are. so please join the conversation. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, I think, Unfortunately, um, a lot of our coaches and parents are, well, let's do them separately because I think they have distinct Mm -hmm. issues. So coaches, I think, can be old school and kind of what we were talking (laughs) about, the no pain, no gain. And they coach the the way they were coached without Mm -hmm. reflecting on whether that was a skillful way or not. And even if it was a skillful way for that particular person, if you're working with a team, um, what worked for you won't necessarily work for your teammate or your athlete because we're all wired differently. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just getting coaches to reflect on what their current coaching habits and patterns and beliefs are and are they the most effective for their athletes and for the team as a whole. So that's the coaches section. And then the parents section is... um, (laughs) Why are we laughing at this, right? They need a little... Well, because (laughs) we're we're laughing because, um, you know, unfortunately, and I I really don't feel that it's all coaches or all parents, but Uh there's enough of them in each category out there that I felt like it needed to be addressed, right? Mm -hmm. Parents are obsessed. They're, um, they're like scholarship crazy. Mm -hmm. Most of them aren't in reality about just the straight statistics of the likelihood of getting a scholarship. And they're, (laughs) it's it's like, it's like, it's like five percent okay. or less, and it and in the book there's actually 
I took straight from the NC2A website the breakdown by sport, like mm-hmm. what percentage of high school players. And the interesting thing is, if I remember that data correctly, I'm not sure I do, that was only high school players. It wasn't looking at club teams and elite travel teams mm. and whatever. So the percentages, I think, are actually lower than what they published. Mm-hmm. Um, Dang. And I had another thought that was there. Oh, yes, that's it. Um, the parents are actually doing damage, like doing damage to their children. So they're creating anxiety, stress, depression, burnout, mm-hmm. drop sport dropout, like the percentage of kids who drop out of sports by 13 is astronomical. Um, and they're doing damage to their relationships to their kids, yeah. with their kids. And That's a very good point. We don't talk about that as much, the relationship. You know, that, area. And, and I watched my own, um, my own leaning in that direction. Sports is my passion. Um, my daughter was a very skilled soccer player and were it not for the grace of my mentor both in supporting my daughter in learning her truth which is that she's a performing artist which is another phenomenal way to learn all the skills we learn in athletics Mm -hmm. Um, and for me to be able to hear her like I could I could have easily been that parent Mm -hmm. and you know that it breaks my heart to see you know, to see the harm that's being caused. And it and it starts from from a place of good intention. It just gets corrupted mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. over time. Like the better the child plays, the older the child gets. Uh, you know, somewhere along the way we lose our we lose our way. Yeah. I think we saw that with those parents that got um caught paying their way in oh, for their gosh. kids is like part of it I can understand as a parent I don't like to watch my daughter struggle or get beat because I like to see the smile on the face when she wins Mm -hmm. but I'm not doing any doing her any good to come in and rescue her like she needs to learn lessons just like I did from that struggle and from that loss so Mm -hmm. right great points and you know then also whatever results you get out of that they're kind of I mean to me they're kind of empty right if they're not based on a solid foundation mm-hmm. right yeah absolutely well you have some and ideas. and yeah. and i i say all of that with true compassion mm-hmm. right like it it does start with parental good intention it's just we we lose our way mm-hmm. well i totally get it i mean my husband and i have chatted where we are both college athletes so we've talked so much and I think that's helpful. We've had these conversations mm-hmm. and, well, Sammy's only like two and a half, but <laughs> like uh, how we want to proceed with this and being very careful of Well, they'll start pressure. recruiting them. Don't worry. Oh, it's crazy. How like, okay, <laughs> we're starting at three. I'm like, three? <laughs> it is just Well, crazy. right. And we have all this single sports specialization, which is leading to like professional level injuries in youth athletes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, you know, and... um the number of professional athletes that were multi-sport mm-hmm. athletes. Yep. Like, there's a lot of really fascinating research on this. I, I love it when an athlete comes out and talks so much about um, all the things that he played and the rest he took or he or she. I think those are great stories to hear. Right. Right. And then you had also asked, so I do have an online course, and the next course will start in September, and it is an eight-week course 
that follows the sequence of the book. So Mm -hmm. it's an hour and a half where we um, are together online and we do a practice. We discuss how the previous week's practice went and we um, set up the next week's practice. And then so it's a sequence of really applying the principles week by week and developing the skills week by week. Yeah, super cool. Where can they find out more information about that? So they can find it on my website, and I believe that my website is not currently up to date. Like, I don't think the September class Mm -hmm. is listed right now, but they could apply with the spring class, and I would just put them in the fall folder. And we can use um, 10% and then fit, however you you guys spell it, P H I T. If they put ten percent fit in the scholarship box, oh, thank um, you. They can get ten percent off. Awesome, thank you. Awesome. Well, we'll put all of the links and information um, so that they can find it in our show notes when we release the interview. Thanks so much, Dr. Saltzman. You're welcome. And at the end of each interview, we ask our interviewees how they live out the FIT philosophy, P-H-F-T, which means <laughs> how do you balance performance, health, intellect, and taking f- time for self as a, a busy author um, that you are? So um, I love that you ask, and I love that I get to answer that I, I do not just walk my talk, but live my talk. So um, I meditate six, I generally meditate most mornings, um, but it's definitely six out of seven days a week, like life happens, right? So occasionally (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'll miss a day. Mm -hmm. And and there there is that piece of kindness and compassion and not being too rigid and too perfectionistic. Um, I exercise, so I either cycle or run, and it's gotten to be much more cycling than running given how my body responds to the running. <laughs> um, five days a week, I go to yoga one day a week. And then, um, you know, I'm seeing patients. I'm working with athletes uh, and others uh, doing mindfulness to enhance their performance. I'm doing the online classes. I, you know, I'm occasionally writing, but right now, like the book, this particular book is done and I don't have another one in the hopper. Mm-hmm. And um, being a wife and a mom, although uh, my nest just recently emptied. So that's <laughs> been a change. <laughs> I bet so. Well, um, great information. I'm yeah. so glad this touches on information for parents, athletes, coaches, and just anyone uh, interested in mindfulness. So, again, thanks so much for being on, Dr. Saltzman. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was it was really fun. Thank well, thanks. you. Lots of good info. Yeah. <laughs> Have a great day. Bye, you Queens. too. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Yours Truly. I'm excited to announce the releasing of my book, Finding Your Sweet Spot in Sport, Avoiding Relative Energy Deficit in Sport, also known as REDS, by optimizing your energy balance. Be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website, www.beccamacomble.com, to find out when the release date is set and when it'll be on Amazon. Bye, Queens.
For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. And Hashtag Fit for a Queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, queens.